a warning of biblical proportions. You know, the as you're opening to Proverbs 14.34, the Bible is not just a guide for us as individuals, as the Psalms tell us that it is a light unto our path. But we also are reminded that the Bible does not just serve as a guide, um, but it also reminds us of the expectations. We can open up the Scriptures believing that they are true and inspired from God, that they are 100% true, they are immutable, they are always applicable in every situation. We can open up the Word as believers and not just see uh, these words as a guide, but we can also see these words and approach them with expectation. And what I mean by that is we can look into the Scriptures to see what God's expectations are for us and to see what God's standard is for us. But we can also look at God's Word, not just as an idea, get an idea of God's expectations for us, but we can also use God's Word as true and immutable and always applicable in the sense that I can say, if I'm going to do this, then I can expect this to happen. If I'm going to make this decision individually, then I can expect this to happen. It, it, it gives us a revelation of what our expectations can be in each and every decision. We either line up with the truth and, and, and we can look at the Word to see what the expectation is for lining up with the truth. We can, we can choose falsehood, we, could, we can sin, and we can see also in the Scriptures what the expectation is from that action. And the amazing thing is it doesn't just work in the sense of the individual life. It also works in the sense with a group of people. It works in the sense of nations. And I want to open, I want, to, I want us to pay our attention, give our attention to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. I want us to pay specific attention to this because no doubt we are standing at a very crucial time in, in our country, and every election cycle is a crucial time. It's an opportunity when we all have the privilege to be able to go and to allow our voices to be heard. Uh, locally, regionally, statewide, nationally, we have that opportunity to go freely into a place and to, to let our voice be heard. And when I think about that, I want to share something with you this morning, because every election, as I said, is important. Every election determines, on some level, the future or the course of our nation. And I want to spend extra time this morning, in the entire time that I'll be preaching, I want us to look at some very important things when it comes down to a nation. And the Bible is not silent on nations. The Bible is not silent. God is not silent on His dealings with nations. And I think that it is only a fitting time, a fitting season for us to open the Scriptures and say, God, what does Your Word say about nations? And say, God, what, do, what role do You have as an active participant, an interested participant in the effects and the affairs of the world? God, what do You say about nations? I want you to look first this morning, as I read Proverbs 14.34, the Scripture says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 
Let me read it one more time. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Let me take an unscientific poll this morning. How many of you believe that? Say amen. That was a majority. Within the margin of error, but it was a majority. I'm speaking the terms of the times, I guess. Think about this for a moment. The moral code of a nation. Obviously, what we're talking about in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, are dealings with nations. Twice in there, the idea, the, the concept of nations, more than one person, a group of people that are lumped together by some nationality or some common thread. That's represented in here when he says, righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people. He's making sure that we understand that this is not just an, a concept that is surrounded by the covenant relationship of God with Israel. In fact, in, in, in Proverbs, and also in Psalm, Psalm 9, we're going to look at that later, also in Psalm 9, the word nation represents those who are outside of the covenant. The word nation is used to describe Gentiles. So when he's talking about this, he's letting us know that these principles that God has, the, the principles of righteousness and the principles of sin, those actions are not just actions that are dwelt within the, that dwell within the concept of the covenant of his, with His people Israel. He makes very clear throughout His Word that sin is not just an is, a Hebrew problem, sin is a national problem. He also reminds us in these words that righteousness is not just something designated for, for the people Israel, for His covenant people. He reminds us that righteousness is something that is desired and expected from the world. Sin on one hand and righteousness on the other. So we are dealing with the moral code of a nation. And I want to tell you just a few things. I've got to blow through this to be able to get to the end. But I want, to, I, want to no, I want you to notice a few things about this. The first thing about our moral code, or the moral code of a nation, is that it is necessary. You may jot that down. A moral code for a nation is necessary. And there are several reasons why. One is it gives a framework for policy. Think about this in the terms of our government. Think about this in terms of a nation. We have to have some type of moral code, uh, 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 what we believe to be right and wrong, because when we, uh, when we administer policy on, on whatever level, hopefully it matches up with what our moral code is. We're going to make decisions based off of what we believe are right or wrong. And the same thing that's true with nations and, having, and the necessity of having a moral code, the, the, the thing that is true about that is that nations don't just make policies. They don't just make decisions based off of a moral code, but we as individuals do. So in this message, it's not just a message about a national warning of biblical proportions, it's also a warning about us as individuals. We need a moral code because we make decisions based off of our belief of what is right or wrong. The second, a moral code provides direction for the future. It doesn't just help you choose what to do, but it also gives you a plan. It gives you a guide for the future based off of what is right or wrong. Financial Peace University is a great example of this for individuals. There are individuals who at some point in their life had been making decisions, in this sense financially, based off of a moral code that did not match up with biblical teachings. 
So in came Financial Peace University, in came the study on dealing with money God's way, and people have said, wow, I need to change my moral code. I need to adjust my structure, my framework, because it does not match up with what God's Word says, and it's only leading to destruction and disaster. The third is it provides a standard to judge human actions. How do I know the right way to guide my child? How do I know the right way to teach him and to lead him in my life? It's off of my moral code. Where do I get that? All ultimately, I strive to get that from the Bible. I fall short on, at times, but I strive to guide my children in the sense of my moral code, which is adhered to the Word of God. And if you think about it, as a nation, we, we don't just, as a, as a country, we don't just in, in, enact policy We don't just have a guide for the future, but we have to have some type of a standard in which we can go and say, this is wrong. The actions between men and women, what is legal and what is not, is all based off of a moral code. And the fourth thing, it offers identification to others of our content. Having a moral code is not just good for us, but it allows other people to see our character. It allows people to see the foundation and the footing on which we stand and build our lives individually or the way our nation views the world. We all need a moral code. But let me say the second thing. Individuals and nations all have one. Maybe I should have put that one first, right? Individuals and nations all have a moral code. Every one of us has some type of a belief system individually that we adhere to. Now, we can debate about where we get that information. We can debate about the construct of it, but the the truth of the matter is we all have some type of a framework in which we view the world. We all have some type of a framework, a structure, in which we are making decisions in life on an individual level and a national level. We have it. You can't not believe that something is right or wrong. You have an opinion. Now, your opinion or your belief system or your structure, as I mentioned earlier, may be wrong. It may not be wise. It may be foolish. It may not line up with the immutable, unchangeable Word of God. But, you know what? We all have one. Individuals and nations are the same. Notice this, or just consider this with me. When we're talking about the role of the individual and the role of the nation and the moral code, let me explain something to you that is incredibly chilling to me, sobering to me, when I'm speaking about a national warning of biblical proportions. We have record in Scripture where God dealt with nations harshly because of their unrighteousness. But let me remind you of something about our political structure that is unique to many parts of the world. We have a representative democracy. That means in a few days, you get to go out to a poll and you get to exercise your worldview. You get to exercise your independence, your choice, and your decision for matters that mean something to you. Now here's the amazing thing. There are countries where the leadership of the country, the guiding force of the country, does not represent the individuals of the nation because there is a dictatorship. 
Many, many countries in the world have dictatorships and authoritarianism, and this dictator is going to guide the country in whatever way they want. Let me remind you, there was a dictator in Egypt. There was a man who made the calls for Egypt, and you know what? That nation fell. Not because of what the people were doing, but because of the soul-hard-heartedness of the man who was thumbing his nose at God. The whole country was affected because of that one man. So this morning when I say, when I read this and say righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, let me remind you, these are not just warnings for the heads of governments. These are not just warnings for the people who sit in, in, in fluffy chairs in front of great big desks and make big decisions passed down as law and legislation. Because of our representative democracy, this affects every one of us. This affects all of us. The third thing, what is ours? Moral code is necessary. We all have one. Individually we have one. Collectively we have one as a nation. But what is ours? Let me read, and I know there is no shortage of quotes from the Founding Fathers regarding God and the Bible. But let me give you just a couple. One is John Quincy Adams. The Declaration of Independence. Listen to this. The Declaration of Independence. John Quincy Adams, sixth president of the United States. One of the Founding Fathers. The Declaration of Independence laid the, found, laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. Let me read that one more time. The Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the cornerstone of the first precepts of Christianity. This framer is saying that the most important document of the time as far as the guidance and the declaration of who we are and who we are to become was laid upon the first precepts of Christianity. John Adams, second president of the United States, said the general principle on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. The general principle on which the fathers received their declaration, their independence, were based off of the principles of Christianity. And guys, let me tell you, there are page after page after page, volumes written of those who frame those original documents in the, fledgling state, in the fledgling stages of our country that spoke about their, our dependence on God. That our framework, our moral code was not based off of any other thing outside of any human wisdom, the foundation of that document the foundation of our moral code was based off of the principles of christianity the moral code of a nation we saw where it began i love politics i would i just i can't get enough I'm kind of a nerd like that, that I just wake up every day and I don't even check Facebook anymore. I'm just looking at polls, you know. I'm reading blogs and uh, Facebook is not even, I don't even, if you notice, I haven't posted anything on Facebook for a long time because I'm just looking at polls and blogs and 
predictions and all that. But I looked up something. I tried to find some information about what the major voting issues were in elections past. And the most information I could find was that in every election I have voted in since 1996, every election at the top of the concerns of the voters was the, anybody want to guess? Economy. Economy, jobs, immigration, education, terrorism. Those were the major themes of issues on, on the voters' minds as they were going into the polls. Does anybody want to know what the last ones are, at least this year? Rasmussen Reports, very reputable polling site, put out a list of concerns, and of the 12, number 11 was abortion. And declining. I read another one for the Pew Research, one of the granddaddies of them. The Pew Research put out 18 issues that were top, the top 18 issues of voters going into the polls. Do you know where abortion ranked? 16. Gay marriage was 18 at the very bottom. It says it was the lowest of any issue they have ever produced. And they were trending downward. Guys, this isn't about me trying to beat up on abortion, me trying to, to, to jump into a... Th- what I'm talking about are these fundamental principles. These issues... I know you hear a lot about abortion and, and the biblical definition of marriage between one man and one woman for life. I know you hear about that all the time. And the reason you hear about that all the time and why they're called hot-button issues is because those lay at the very foundation of our belief system. If we can't answer the question, where does life begin? If we can't answer the question of the value of life, if we can't go to a basic, clear teaching of God's Word that marriage, that which holds our social fiber together, if we can't go to that basic tenet of our, of our social life and say, God, you're right, it's between one man and one woman because you said so, and it's good for society. If we try to redefine that basic tenet and the basic tenet of the value and dignity and sanctity of life, if we can't get those right, friends, nothing else is going to match up. One deals with that we live and the other deals with how we live. And I'm not telling you that the economy is not an issue. I'm not telling you that those are not issues that we should worry about because I know some of you are looking for jobs. I know that some of you are hurting financially. I know, there are, I know that some of you are worried about health care and those issues. But let me tell you something. If righteousness exalts a nation... And sin is a reproach, a disgrace, a shame to any people. I have to believe that we should not expect nor anticipate the blessing or favor of God on us until we get our priorities right. If we don't flip it around, if we don't say, Matthew 6.33, Jesus is speaking to His disciples. And He says, I know the need you have. 
Food, clothing, water. I know the needs you have. Your heavenly Father knows the needs you have. And He says to His disciples, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. And you know what? I think that ultimately in the scope of that Scripture, that was perfectly applied to those disciples at that moment who were sitting on that mountain listening to Jesus give these principles for the kingdom of heaven. But let me tell you something. That may have been perfectly applied to those disciples. It can be perfectly applied to us individually as believers. But the truth is still the same. You can take that truth and plug it into any other arena because it's true. As a nation, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. There are only two options, guys. According to Proverbs 14.34, there are only two options. There's no gray area. There's no fence. It's sin or righteousness. It's doing what is right according to God's Word or it's doing what is wrong according to the principles of God's Word. That's it. If we're constructing our moral code individually and, and as a nation, we have to be able to say, what is the, the construct that I need? It's right here. Righteousness or sin? Sin or righteousness? Let's look at the first one, point number two. Two certainties. First is that righteousness, point two. First is that righteousness exalts a nation. Now, there are a couple things for us to think about in this. First is that there's a practical sense of truth to this. What do I mean by a practical sense of truth to the fact that righteousness exalts a nation? First of all, this is coming from the premise that I believe that every word is inspired by God's word and is true. And if I believe that every word in God's word is inspired and is true, then I believe that this also is true because it's in God's word. If I believe that righteousness exalts a nation, righteousness lifts up a nation, righteousness causes a nation to rise. Exalting refers to honor. Righteousness honors a nation. There is a practical sense of this. Now let me give you an example. Can you give me an example? Can you think of a way in which doing what is right according to God's Word does not benefit everybody? Is there some way that you can think of in God's Word where if you did right and everybody was doing the same thing that was right, it would not benefit everybody? The truth of God's Word is not just good because He said it. He said it because it is good. So when we align ourselves with the Word of God, I'm not saying it's easy to do. I'm not saying it's not going to have consequences that may be persecution or tribulation. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying, however, that if we all were to practice righteousness in a perfect world, it would be good. Let me tell you what John Adams wrote in his diary. I love this. He said, suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their own law book. And every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. Listen to this. What a utopia. What a paradise this region would be. Do you believe that? What a utopia. What a paradise this region would be. In a practical sense, righteousness exalts a nation. It's good for everybody. But there's a spiritual sense. A spiritual sense. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, I don't have time to read the whole thing to you, but in Deuteronomy chapter 26, especially verse 19, you may jot that down and look at it on your time. In chapter 26, God reminds His people 
that He has blessed them. That He has given them a great land. And that He has given them commandments. And He reminds them At that moment, in Deuteronomy chapter 26, God reminds them that the purpose for which they exist as a nation is to be holy and to glorify Him. And He warns them, if they stop, the consequences that will happen. He reminds them He's the one that gave it to them. And in the event that they stop becoming a holy nation set apart by the teachings of God's Word, set apart for His glory, then what He reminds them is that they will have those blessings taken away. Righteousness exalts a nation. It's true in a practical sense. It is true in a spiritual sense. Remember this, guys. This is really easy to remember. God blesses what honors Him. Found all through the Scriptures. Genesis to Revelation, folks. God blesses what honors Him. Nations, individuals, families, ministries, God blesses what honors Him. Let's look at the other half of this certainty. But sin is a reproach to any people. Sin is a shame Bring shame upon it. Sin is a disgrace to any people. Psalm 9. I told you we would be there. If you want to flip over and see it with your eyes. Psalm 9, verse 17, just a few pages back. But sin is a reproach to any people. Psalm 9, verse 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. You know what really grabs a hold of me in verse 17? Is not the idea other is is not just the fact that wickedness and nations that forget God are lumped in together. There's a parallelism there. But is that word forget? In order to forget, you had to have known. Before you can allow that that to slip through, you had to have first had a hold of it. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Guys, let me remind you of something. History is littered with the ruins of countries that forgot God. Consider for a moment Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, you don't have to look far. You go back to Genesis, and very early on in Genesis, we see that the wickedness of man was great, and before long, sexual immorality began to grow and abound and flourish in, this, in these two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what happened? God wiped them out. God literally destroyed them from the face of the earth. And even in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus used them as an example to us today. That God's Word is true and that unrighteousness will not go unjudged. 
individually or as a nation. We don't have to look far to see that in Genesis also, God wiped out the whole world, excluding Noah and his family. Why? Because the wickedness of man was great and his heart was only evil continually. We look to Nineveh. Read Nahum's account. After they had received the great revival, a hundred years after Jonah went and they received revival and turned from God, a hundred years later, they turned back to idolatry and wickedness. And you know what happened? That nation was overthrown and its ruins still are visible today. Jesus warned of Tyre and Sidon who also had wickedness and were unjust and idol worshippers of the greatest degree. And Jesus also in Matthew warned the people of that day that if Tyre and Sidon would have seen the things that you have seen, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. We don't have to look far for biblical examples of where God did not just withhold His blessings but He actually brought judgment. Why? Because His Word says, His Word says, the wicked shall be turned to hell and all the nations that forget God. You and I know, many of us, are familiar with Second Chronicles 7.14. Praise God, I've been driving around, I've been seeing it pop up on billboards in Kansas and Missouri. And it says this, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. God says, then I will hear their prayer from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Don't you love that splash of good news? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, God says. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Many of you have committed Second Chronicles 7.14 to your memory because you pray that. You try to live that out in your life. But let me ask you a question. Do you know what Second Chronicles 7.13 says? Second Chronicles 7.14 is a partial sentence. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is only complete when you plug in the first part of it in verse 13. Let me read 7.13 to you. It says, When I shut up heaven, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name. You know what he's saying? He didn't say if I do it. He said when I do it. He's saying it to His people. When I shut up heaven that it will not rain, when I allow the locusts to devour the crops, when I send pestilence on My people, if they call upon Me, I will do these things. Guys, we have a God who is not just active and interested in the affairs of our life. He is concerned with the affairs of our country. Because I believe this nation is a nation that is blessed. Hugely blessed. Let me give you an example. Did you know that if the state of Missouri was its own country, do you have any idea how big the GDP of our state would be in relationship to the rest of the world? 46th. 
The state of Missouri itself is the 46th largest economy in the world. It's tied with the United Arab Emirates. Is that, does that blow anybody's mind? We have been blessed. Why? I told you, God blesses that which honors Him. If we get to the point where we stop honoring Him, I believe His justice would only allow that we stop being blessed. If we stop honoring Him, how? Through our decisions, through our lives, through our moral code, which guide, guide us, give us principles, give us a framework, identify us among all other people. Guys, I'm not telling you how to vote. That is not my job. But I can tell you what to expect. And if we continue, if we continue to not realize the role of, and the importance of a bi- biblical worldview, and as believers, as individuals, settle that in our heart, you can't guide, you can't direct a nation if you as an individual are not on the right track. If we're not right with God here, if we don't know what we believe, if we're living by something that does not line up with the truth of God's Word, we're not going to be able to reflect that anywhere else. So really, praise God for our representative democracy. That this morning, each one of us can come to the place where we have a real conversation with God. And we can say, God, in my life right now, all other things aside, God, right now, what is the moral code in my life? Where am I walking outside of Your will? Am I making decisions that line up as an individual with what Your Word says? Am I sold on a strong foundation that will never change and is always true? Do we believe that we can continue to shun God's Word as a guide and still anticipate His blessings? I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm telling you what we can expect. And let me end with this last thought. If if the most generous nation, quite possibly the most moral nation, still, that's not saying so much about our morals, but rather the lack of morals that we see throughout the world. Let me remind you, we still, there are still 1.21 million abortions a day, 3,322, or excuse me, 1.21 million a year. There are 3,322 a day in our country. If America's light goes out in the world, who's going to pick it up? What other country is going to be such a possible force for the kingdom of God? It's a sobering thought. Today, where do you stand with God? Are you on the right side of truth? Or are you on the wrong side of truth? You know what? You don't need me to convince you of that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He guides, He instructs, He reveals. And today the question is this, will we respond to what God says? Do we need to repent 
as an individual. When we get our hearts right, when we get everything settled in our life that we're lined up with God, praise God for the hope for the individual that our hope does not lie in a president. Praise God that our hope does not lie in a political party. Praise God that our hope in this life and in the life to come is only through Jesus Christ. Our country is not the hope of the nations. God himself is the hope of the nations. And today, if you've never trusted Christ, you're on the wrong side of the truth. And you have an opportunity today to say, God, I'm standing on the very firm foundation that your son Jesus died for me because I'm a sinner. And today I freely accept him for my Savior and Lord for the forgiveness of sins. Today at this invitation, a little different. If you have a decision to make personally, I want to talk to you. If you've never trusted Christ, I want to meet you right here. Today is the day. Now is the time to get on the right side of truth. If you need to rededicate your life, say, God, I'm on the wrong track. I want to get on the right track with you. I want to repent of the sin in my life. I want to set things straight. Today is the day. I want to talk with you. If you want to come down to this altar and pray, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and you want to pray, say, God, help heal our nation. Fix our nation. Help give us the guidance of the light of your word. Put people in that are strong and courageous morally. Help God help us to be a strong witness for the truth and the light of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that you hear our prayer, that your hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, that your arm is strong and mighty in the dealings with nations. And Father, that strong right arm raises them up and historically has torn them down. And we stand at a crossroads. And we pray today, Lord, that our decisions, our lives, our moral code will line up with the truth of the Word of God. And whether we walk into the grocery store or a polling station, whether we walk into our home or our job, that our lives will reflect the truth of God's Word. Father, forgive us where we have failed You. Forgive us where we have been silent. Forgive us where we have been apathetic to the things that are the nearest to Your heart. And help us live as people that are principled. Get us on the right side of truth that we may be a nation that makes much of Jesus. Thank you, God, for hearing us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.